This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Longshot is a production of McClatchy Studios and iHeartRadio. Previously on Payback. She was like, wow, I got a text from Joellis. I got invited to November camp. I had to think about Jeremiah, though. Go. Don't worry about Jeremiah. Go. Done into the box. She found McDonald. Go! She had to be the MVP that catapulted her to the national team, which she still had to do something amazing. I'm the only mom, this underdog, with chip on her shoulder. I was doing it for my kid. For almost as long as there's been a U.S. women's national team, there's been a chant that goes with it. The USA chant dates back to 1985, at the team's debut tournament in Italy. The Italian fans were so taken with the upstart Americans, they began chanting in support of the USA, which they pronounced USA. For almost 40 years, that chant has been the way the U.S. women break their pregame huddles. And at the 2019 World Cup, Jess's team was the latest to embrace that connection with the past. As the U.S. women prepared for one of their toughest international competitions yet, it was also a way the team brought its focus back to what was happening on the field. Because not only did Jess and her teammates have a tradition of winning to uphold, but there in France, they faced a global media blitz no women's soccer team had ever seen before. New court documents reveal why U.S. soccer says women should not get paid as much as men. I can't believe U.S. soccer actually put these on paper. <laughs> that should have been floated and no, disregarded. From the Charlotte Observer, Raleigh News and Observer, 
McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio. This is Payback. I'm Alexandreev, and this is part nine, Nasty Women. This morning, negotiations breaking down between women's soccer and the U.S. Soccer Federation over the fight for equal pay. That spring of 2019, around the same time Jess was named to the national team, it seemed the entire country was talking about women's soccer. We've filled stadiums, we've broken viewing records. Megan Rapino, a star of the team, speaking to Congress on Equal Pay Day. And yet, despite all of this, we're still paid less than our male counterparts. I think equal pay is a ridiculous concept in and of itself. What Rapino, maybe unknowingly, is saying there is, this is an economic conversation. If it can happen to me, it can and it does happen to every person who is marginalized by gender. In 2016, five members of the women's national team had filed a complaint against U.S. soccer with the Federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, citing wage discrimination. The first time in history pro-athletes had done so. Movement was slow on that complaint for the next three years. But in early 2019, the commission issued letters to the players granting them the right to sue in federal court. So on International Women's Day 2019, 28 members of the U.S. women's national team, including Jess, escalated the fight. They sued their parent U.S. Soccer Federation in California District Court over what the players described as institutionalized gender discrimination. It certainly is discrimination based on gender. If the men won as much as the women have won, the men would make four times the amount as the women. Molly Levinson and her PR firm have represented the women of the U.S. national team since 2014. If you put that in different terms, a woman in the workforce needs to be three times as successful to make almost as much as her male colleagues. And that just doesn't work. The lawsuit was headed up by team leaders Alex Morgan, Becky Sauerbrunn, Carly Lloyd, and Megan Rapino. Pino is really the one that really stood up and was like, look, this is what's happening. Jess had only just been named to the World Cup team roster when she was approached to participate. We all knew kind of what was happening already. And then she was like, look, we're filing this lawsuit. It's everyone on board. That first talk was just so powerful. And I learned so much with our lawyers coming in, meeting with us. And so I like looked at the numbers and I'm like, oh, holy crap. Yes, I'm definitely signing this lawsuit. This is like not okay. In the years since those U.S. players had first filed their 2016 complaint, the world had taken notice. FIFA, soccer's global governing body, had agreed to double the prize money for the upcoming 2019 Women's World Cup. Women's national teams in Brazil, Argentina, Scotland, Ireland, Nigeria, and beyond had made their own public stance against pay inequality. And Norway, whose women's team often outperforms the men's side, became the first country to strike an equal pay deal for both teams. What is so important to the players is that it goes so far beyond soccer. This is not just about money, and it was never just... I mean, fundamentally, at the end of the day, what this lawsuit is about is generations and generations of discrimination against women and recognizing that women should be paid and valued equally to men. 
This is a really fascinating, remarkable story here. New court documents reveal why U.S. soccer says women should not get paid as much as men. I can't believe U.S. soccer actually put these arguments on paper. <laughs> that should have been floated and disregarded. Yeah. U.S. soccer claimed in court that the women's team wasn't really doing the same job as the men because men's soccer required more physical talent. The filing said that it is undisputed that the job of a men's player requires more strength and speed than the job of a women's player. It also added that the job of men's national team players carries more responsibility than the job of a women's national team player. At the time, Molly Levinson described that argument as paleolithic. Advertisers, including Visa and Coca-Cola, issued stinging rebukes against U.S. soccer, calling the filing unacceptable and defensive. And if supporters of the players' cause wanted a bad guy, they found one in the president of U.S. soccer at the time, Carlos Cordero. Um, you know, we have, we have sort of felt that those are some of the undercurrent feelings um, that they've had for a long time, but to, to see that blatant misogyny and sexism as the argument against us um, is really disappointing. But- Rapino gave this interview to Julie Foudy on ESPN shortly after the filing. I just want to say it's all false to every girl out there, to every boy out there. Uh, You are not lesser just because you are a girl. You are not better just because you're a boy. We are all created equal and should all have an equal opportunity to go out and pursue our dreams. Rapino's thoughts bore a striking resemblance to what Foudy herself had once said as her 99ers battled for recognition. It was kind of the mentality of just be grateful you even have a girl's team. Be grateful you get to put on the red, white, and blue and sit down, sister. There was just a level of disrespect, we thought, too, in that what we're asking for is not a lot. But it turns out how much is a lot, and when things are actually equal, can be surprisingly complicated to decide. We'll explain after the break. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. My name is Johnny B. Good. And I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. 
It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We should back up a little bit here from the lawsuit, because context is important. In 2017 two years before the lawsuit. And around the same time, Jess was invited to her first national team camp. The U.S. women's soccer team players signed a collective bargaining agreement with U.S. soccer. By 2017, that was relatively routine. The 99ers had fought for the players' first CBA in 2000. The CBA signed in 2017 was the fourth time the players had signed a new contract. First off, congrats. Thank you. How did you celebrate the moment? This is Julie Foudy on ESPN back in 2017, talking to members of the women's national team, including Megan Rapinoe. It was just like one of those moments where we were like, is this real? Oh yeah. <laughs> we're like, yeah. is this a start to a movement, you think? I think we're in the middle of the movement. Just in general, women are sick and tired of coming second all the time. But the very act of signing that contract complicated things for the national team players who joined the gender discrimination lawsuit two years later. U.S. soccer is absolutely committed to equal pay for the women's national team. It's something that we've said publicly. It's something that we've said to them. This is Jamie Wine from the law firm Latham & Watkins. Her firm was brought in to represent U.S. soccer after the Federation's prior legal team submitted that disastrous filing which said, in so many words, that men's soccer required more skill than the women's game. The women were empowered to negotiate their own contract and the contract that they wanted. And it's interesting to look back at the time after they negotiated the contract that they now say does not provide them equal pay. They were very happy with that contract because it actually got them what they wanted. It wasn't just a carbon copy of the men. The 2017 Collective Bargaining Agreement contained many different financial components, outlining everything from travel accommodations to player per diems. But the headline-generating rallying cry of equal pay was the primary public measuring stick, even if the players themselves acknowledged back then that the issue was more complex. We're trying to figure out where women's soccer is going, and so we might not have the same exact structure as the men. Here's Becky Sauerbrunn, talking to soccer writer Grant Wall back in 2017. She was one of the leading U.S. player representatives for those CBA negotiations. And so equal isn't the right word, it would be equitable, because we are asking for a different structure. In the CBA signed in 2017, the women negotiated for an increased base salary and better performance bonuses for success on the field. 
Beyond that, they secured improvements in travel conditions and an ongoing commitment by U.S. soccer to support the NWSL. At the time, the deal was trumpeted as a symbolic step forward for women everywhere, including by Megan Rapinoe in that ESPN conversation with Julie Foudy. Congrats. Thank you. It was just like one of those moments where like, is this real? Oh, yeah. But in my conversations with Molly Levinson, a player's PR representative, she cautioned that some of that fanfare had been premature. U.S. soccer alleges that the women were, indeed, offered the same pay structure as the men. But the women's team maintains that, even if that structure was offered, the physical dollars were not. They went into collective bargaining understanding that their value was being perceived or being recognized as less throughout the entire bargaining. So that was very clear, very understood for months and months through that CBA negotiation. There can still be discriminatory pay, even if an employee has agreed to it. That's been a consistent theme across generations of the women's national team. Throughout my reporting for this podcast, I interviewed players from almost every era of the national team. And what always struck me is in some ways how little seems to have changed. I really do chalk it up, at least at that point, to being really like young and naive and not understanding the way things worked and probably being grateful for the idea of playing. Danielle Slayton was a member of the U.S. national team in the early 2000s when they signed that very first collective bargaining agreement. And today, Slayton is a commentator for Fox Sports, including at the Women's World Cup. What makes me so frustrated with myself is like, that's the exact argument that I hear people say to these women now. Like, you're making way more than they did before. It's still not a living wage. Don't pay attention to that. But you should just be happy to be here. Like, that's not fair. It's not right. I think the Me Too movement had a big role to play in in the way that we look at women and value women and respect women in our country. And so I think that we're in a time right now when Things are moving quickly, and big jumps are possible. Slayton made a key point during our conversation. As much as the U.S. players have often been standard bearers for women's equality in this country, they're also a product of larger American culture. And, in some real ways, the country found itself in a very different place on gender equality, just two years after the players signed that 2017 CBA. Harvey Weinstein is in handcuffs. A disgrace Hollywood producer surrendered to police in New York. Indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter. A judge in Pennsylvania has just sentenced Bill Cosby. You brag that you have sexually assaulted women. Do you understand that? No, I didn't say that at all. I don't think you understood. She was warned. She was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. I don't think progress happens in a straight line or, you know, in a linear fashion. Slayton again. I mean, like, this is when they talk about, like, systematic racism or systematic oppression. Like, we have to find a way to take the steps to actually change the system. And that's where the onus is going to be on organizations like U.S. soccer or, gosh, any huge organization that employs women, which is um, everyone, whether it's instituting policies, actually making, you know, law changes, and then having the continual pressure of the women's national team raising the flag when things aren't fair, and the public continuing to follow along and voice their opinion too. Even though the players agreed to the CBA in 2017, their 2016 federal complaint with the EEOC was still being investigated. So in 2019, 
emboldened by the ongoing national conversations around equality, and given the green light by the EEOC to sue their employers. That's exactly what the women's players did, just ahead of the World Cup, regardless of that 2017 CBA. If they make the World Cup roster, female players receive 44% of what their male counterparts earn. That's despite drawing crowds of similar size and racking up unprecedented achievements, like their third World Cup trophy last summer. The players' lawsuit said the women's team often plays more games, wins more games, wins more championships, and draws higher TV ratings than the U.S. men. They said their success meant the women's team players were spending more of their time on camps and national team commitments each year than the men. The women said there was still disparity in their travel and training conditions compared to the men's team, including things like chartered flights, and that U.S. soccer did not promote the women's matches equally. And as for unequal pay, one example the women cited was pay for advancement through the World Cup. In 2014, the men's national team lost in the round of 16 and was paid more than $5 million total. The next year, the women's national team received less than $2 million for winning the whole thing. The lawsuit said that in some years, women on the national team stood to earn roughly 40% of what men's team players made, and the players sought $66 million in damages. I think the advantage for the women from a PR perspective is that they have a very easy and likable slogan, which is that they should get equal pay for equal work. And of course, everybody would agree with that. Jamie Wine again. I think the nuance comes in, you know, once we all try to figure out what that means. Does equal mean identical? Or does equal mean, you know, equal in the sense that both the men and the women are being treated in a fair and equitable way? If you're interpreting equal to be identical, they didn't want the men's structure at that time. They wanted the structure that they got and they were happy with it. Currently, when athletes play in World Cup games, qualifiers, and non-competitive friendly matches, they're paid a base annual salary with potential bonuses for winning. The biggest ongoing difference between the men's and women's contracts has long been that the men's team wants a pay structure built around larger bonuses for games played. The women's team pushed for guaranteed salaries. And Jamie Wine told me that a few years later, in 2020, the women's team's contract structure had real-life benefits. When COVID shut down much of the sports world, Neither the U.S. men's or women's teams played a game for almost nine months. That meant the men's team players didn't receive any money from U.S. soccer during that time because they didn't play. The U.S. women, on the other hand, received full salaries and benefits throughout that period, even without taking the field. In a, I think, somewhat ironic way, the arguments that the women are now advancing through the litigation, you know, it really takes away the agency from these women to actually negotiate the deal and the structure that they want. Molly Levinson, the women's player spokesperson, disagrees. There are women in workforces all around the world who are getting paid less because they are women, who have still agreed to be paid less because of the discriminatory environment that they're in. So it is not an argument to say that it's legal to discriminate on the basis of gender if the women employees in the workplace have agreed to be discriminated against. It, it, it's still not okay. On the cusp of the 2019 World Cup, the women's lawsuit catapulted Jess and her teammates into the public eye. They were no longer simply captivating, they were polarizing. 
But the women had learned something else from the generations of national team players who had come before them. Nothing strengthens your bargaining position like crushing your opponents on the field. As the U.S. women arrived in France, they were the biggest stars in the World Cup. But for once, their domination on the field was taking a backseat. Once we filed a lawsuit, our goal was to just like not even talk about it until the World Cup was over. Here's Jess. So we're like, we're filing, not even talking about it. We need to prep for the World Cup. This is our focus. People are going to ask questions. Don't answer them. And we're going to get through the World Cup. And then we can focus on it. The past few months had been a whirlwind as Jess bounced from North Carolina to training camps and back, living half her life at home with Jeremiah and the Rockaways, and the other half on an airplane. Every month from November 2018, I missed between like two and four weeks away from home every month because we're prepping for the World Cup. And as the U.S. women took the field against Thailand for their first game of the tournament, everything Jess and her teammates did suddenly represented more than soccer. In the largest margin of victory ever for a World Cup game, male or female, the U.S. women beat Thailand 13 to nothing. The U.S. women's soccer team made World Cup history last night, scoring more goals than any other team in the history of the tournament. The tournament's largest margin of victory ever. I didn't have a problem with them scoring all these goals. Shot! Go! I had a problem with them celebrating all of these goals. Cutting the lights, she's got it! The remarkable win has put a different kind of goal into the spotlight. The women's fight to be paid as much as the men's team. Was that historic drubbing of Thailand empowering? Or simply ruthless? I mean, I think a World Cup, it is about competing. It is, it is about peaking. It is about priming your players ready for the next games. Head coach Jill Ellis after the game. You play players that get hot, and if you can get as many hot as you possibly can, feeling good, feeling the back of the net, that's so important for a forward and for a midfielder, and for anybody for that matter. But I mean, I'll be honest, I sit here and I go, if this is 10-0 in a men's World Cup, are we getting the same questions, to be quite honest, you know? In the second game for the U.S. women, they faced off against Chile. Jess came on as a substitute after the half recording her first playing time in a World Cup game and making her presence felt. In the 62nd minute, Jess brought the ball up just inside the right-hand side of the penalty box, drew three defenders, and still found space to rifle a shot to the far post, past goalkeeper Christian Endler. McDonald drives it off the post. It looked like just skimmed it. Endler had her hand there, but I'm not sure she got any of that. Jess's shot was stopped, but the U.S. women still rolled to a 3-0 victory. One more win. 2-0 over Sweden, took the U.S. into the knockout stage. In the round of 16, the American women defeated Spain 2-1, leading them to the quarterfinals, and a game against the host team. That's it! The U.S. is going to the quarterfinals, a date with friends on Friday. Jess had become a reliable backup for the national team. On the verge of achieving her lifelong dream, she wasn't sure how much more game time she might see. But there was no question Jess wanted the Rockaways there for it. We couldn't go for the whole time because it was over weeks and weeks. So we went for the quarterfinals. Here's Dan Rockaway, Jess's self-proclaimed North Carolina dad. Jeremiah was with us and we took Jeremiah over. 
they have a family time for the team and it's every day at a certain time. It's like an hour long, maybe two hours the most. And I remember we went there and I filmed Jeremiah sitting there and seeing his mom. In the video, we see Jeremiah sitting on a couch in sweatpants and a blue t-shirt, wearing a red Team USA backpack that looks two sizes too big. Across the room, he sees Jess come around the corner. And Jeremiah races across the room in about 15 steps as Jess scoops up this bundle of boy and backpack and squeezes him tight. I followed him and I went around and she turned and you could see his face. He was like in, in heaven. How are you? You're good? Oh, hey, man. And I sent that to Jess and she posted it. And then next thing you know, it's got like over a million views on Good Morning America. United and it feels so good. The U.S. women's soccer team in the World Cup has everyone excited, but perhaps no one is as thrilled as this little guy. Oh. Jess and Jeremiah provided a moment of unity as the team plunged into more controversy off the field. Because as the U.S. women tried to focus on winning a fourth World Cup, there would be new distractions ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to the fucking White House. <laughs> no. We'll get into that after the break. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. 
Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this hundred-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We just expect to win every single game. Heading into their quarterfinal matchup with France, in France, if the U.S. women needed to court any more controversy, they got it when Megan Rapino gave an off-the-cuff interview to Soccer Magazine 8x8. We have a, a great burden of expectation, but I think that also brings out the best in you. Given the U.S. women's past success in the World Cup and the tradition of U.S. presidents inviting championship teams to the White House, Rapino was asked if she was already getting excited to visit Donald Trump's new home. <laughs> I'm not going to the fucking White House. No, I'm not going to the White House. That's, okay. We're not going to be invited. You're not going to be invited? I doubt it. Much like Jess's video with Jeremiah, Rapino's answer also went viral. The president tweeted, in part, women's soccer player Megan Rapino, which he actually used the wrong Twitter handle on that one, should win first before she talks. And for days, it dominated cable news at home and press conferences in France. I stand by the comments that I made about not wanting to go to the White House. I would encourage my teammates to think hard about lending that platform or having that co-opted by an administration that doesn't feel the same way and doesn't fight for the same things that we fight for. But there is no question that any talk of Rapino and the women's team increased awareness for their push for equality. For the Rockwits, who were there in France visiting Jess and watching Jeremiah, it was just another way the entire experience became surreal. So we were in a hotel with everybody, Meg Rapino's family, Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgan, everybody's family. We were there and we became friends with some of them and we text them. And it was a- Dan in particular remembers getting private security briefings at their hotel. We had people assigned to us for our protection. They chartered buses for us. And I think maybe it was against France. We were in the front row at the bottom. And I heard that those seats went for up to $10,000 a piece. Jess's North Carolina family had front row seats for that epic quarterfinal, where Jess was able to find Jeremiah before the game. In another video from Dan Rockaway, Jess is seen at the edge of the field in a blue warm-up t-shirt, leaning over the barrier to the stands, where Jeremiah is in the first row. She gives him a bear hug, and we can see that Jeremiah is in a custom-made number 22 USA jersey. For Jess, the name on the back reads, Mommy. I love you. In that game, Rapino scored a pair of goals, and the U.S. held on for a 2-1 victory. That is it! U.S. advances! The French are up! It marked the national team's eighth straight semifinal appearance in the World Cup, and another 2-1 victory against England. That was it! U.S. wins the round of the final! Would I say we probably use the lawsuit as fuel to, like, really want to win it? Yeah, that's a small piece, but, you know, we wanted it overall. This wasn't just about the lawsuit. On July 7, 2019, at Parc Olympique Lyonnais, Jess and her teammates knew that one final win would cement the U.S. women in World Cup history. 
but it also gave them a chance to notch a place in American history. I was in Lyon in the stands in the final, and, you know, I, I literally, I'm getting goosebumps as I think about it. Danielle Slayton was at the stadium that day, part of the Fox Sports team covering the final. Like, I'm hearing, you know, all of these fans chanting, equal pay, equal pay. And I, I truly believe we're at a time when we all understand that this is what needs to happen. We are in a time where the general public gets it and it agrees. I think the hard part is actually putting it into practice. And Jess, she had an additional goal, to make her son proud. Yeah, he was in the family and friends section, which was like very close to the field. Like I, I can see him while I'm like warming up, you know, so he was that close. So I want to say like third or fourth row, something like that, which is really cool. Jess didn't record any playing time in the final, but she was on the sideline supporting her team. Jeremiah looking on with pride. The U.S. controlled much of the tempo during the first half, but couldn't break through the Dutch defense. That's going to do it. First half has come to a close. Scoreless here, the half. Finally, in the 61st minute, Rapino took a penalty kick for the Americans. Go! U.S. late! Then she took off for the corner flag, repeating an iconic celebratory pose she debuted against France. Her arms outstretched, a ta-da for the world. Minutes later, midfielder Rose Lavelle would add an insurance goal for the U.S. women. Looking, cutting, shooting, go! Lavelle, 2-0. It was like, oh, this is it. Even the coaching staff, like, we're all just lined up together, like, arms wrapped around us, and we're jittery, you know, we're on our toes, just kind of waiting for the ref to blow the whistle. That's it! U.S. wins their fourth World Cup! Whistle blows. Oh, we were at a full sprint. And surprisingly enough, none of us pulled a muscle running out there, but we all ran out and tackled one another, gave each other just big hugs and shed some tears, shared some smiles. And we went through this journey together and here we are raising the trophy together. For Jess, midfield in Lyon was the mountaintop. Homelessness in Phoenix, fighting for college in North Carolina, a pro career that had taken her everywhere, all of it led her there, to France. She hugged everyone she could find, wearing a grin Grandma Abby could have seen from Arizona. I think about it all the time still, to this day. Even sitting in front of you guys, even just talking about it and reminiscing, it's wanting your dreams to just come true. And mine definitely did, becoming a World Cup champion. And then, as the blue and yellow confetti started to fall, Jess hugged the person she wanted to most. Security led him onto the field, helped to bring him down, and Jeremiah just kind of like ran to me onto the field. Photos from the celebration showed Jess on her knees, a champion's medal hanging around her neck, with Jeremiah dumping fistfuls of confetti on her head. They had made it there, together. Do you remember your trip to France when your mom won the World Cup? Oh yeah, was it the one with all the confetti? That's probably the one. Oh yeah, I remember that. That was super fun throwing all my confetti on my mom. Yeah, and we did snow angels also. In the confetti? Yeah. Jess remembers that all the focus on the U.S. women off the field became something even more lasting immediately after the final whistle. The historic chant had evolved with time. 
we had realized toward the end of the tournament this lawsuit was much bigger than we thought it would have been or how it turned out, whether we won or lost. When we first heard the chant, equal pay, equal pay, in the whole stadium, oh, I'm goosebumps again, we realized right then and there, this is a movement. This is a worldwide movement. This is something bigger than us. This is something historical, and we have to fight for all the females out there, all the little girls out there. We have to finish this out. The world had the women's backs, but once again, with their own parent soccer federation, and on part 10 of Payback. All those in favor of equal pay say aye. The women's national soccer team! The president of the U.S. Soccer Federation has stepped down from his position. The only thing that moves the needle in negotiations, sitting at the table and saying, this is what matters to us, player to president. Just like every woman that read that legal brief, I was hurt and offended. We have the fan base, we fill stadiums, and we win. What more do you need from us? I'm Alexandria. Payback is a production of the Charlotte Observer, Raleigh News and Observer, McClatchy Studios, and iHeartRadio. It's produced by Kata Stevens, Casey Toth, Julia Wall, and Davin Coburn. The executive producer for iHeartRadio is Sean Tytone. For lots more on this story, and to support journalism like this, visit charlotteobserver.com payback or newsobserver.com payback. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.